Welcome to Triumphant's Podcast with Pastor Perrin, preaching on the Word of God. From Matthew chapter 11, begin reading at verse number 15. I know that that concluded our stanza last week, but we'll pick it up before we get into verse 16 through 19. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. But to what shall I compare this generation? It is like children, children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their playmates. They say, we played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, look at him. A glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. This is the word of God for the people of God. And we say to you, God, thanks be to God. This morning, I would like to title our sermon from this passage. I would like to title it, try to work with this title this morning. Hopefully, it'll come together. Grow as you go. Grow as you go. Excuse me. Haddon Robinson tells the story of a young musician whose concert went poorly and was received by the critics really, really poorly. But the famous Finnish composer, Jean Sibelius, consoled this young musician by patting him on the back and saying, remember, young son, there is no city in the world where they have a statue to a critic. Anyone who has ever set out to blaze any trail, anyone who has set out to accomplish anything of significant knows that one of the things you will inevitably face along the way is not only oppositions, but opposers. In our passage this morning, we see that playing out ever so clearly. For even Jesus Christ, that perfect man from Nazareth, he faced opposers and critics himself. But ultimately, the opposers, the critics, the naysayers, the discouragers, in the end, they are not the ones who are remembered. As Theodore Roosevelt once famously said, it is not the critic who counts. It is not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, the one whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, the one who strives valiantly, the one who errs and comes short again and again 
because there is no effort without error or shortcomings. The credit belongs to the one who actually strives to do the deeds. The one who spends himself in a worthy cause and who at best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement or who at worst, if he fails, at least he fails while daring greatly so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who know neither victory nor defeat. But here's the thing, folks. I know that this morning there are many professing Christians who are watching who say that they're going to join in the chorus a little later on, the chorus of the crowd that cheered Jesus on into Jerusalem as he came in riding on that donkey and they shouted Hosanna and they shouted blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. You're going to join in on that chorus and a little bit later today you're going to be singing hell Jesus you're my king. Yet the reality folks is that in the midst of that crowd not only were there those who were cheering Jesus on but there were also critics who were opposing Jesus even more. Some even told Jesus to tell the crowd to stop cheering. But Jesus would not concede to their criticisms. He violently traversed ahead, even though it would meant that ultimately it would lead him to face suffering and death by crucifixion on a cross. But what I believe our pastors this morning is meant to do, it is to get us to wrestle with which part of the crowd will we be a part of? Will we be those who cheer or will we be those who sneer? Will we be those who contribute or those who complain? Will we be those who aspire for greatness and blaze trails or will we settle for being critics? And I say this because I believe it is the reason this passage begins with Jesus posing this question. He says, to what shall I compare this generation? In this question, I don't think that Jesus is just processing out loud and just musing out loud. But rather, Jesus is trying to get this crowd to listen in and to wrestle with what he is about to say. In our vernacular, in essence, he is saying to them, let me, let me see how I can put this. How can I make this plain for y'all? And it's clear by doing this, Jesus wants them to wrestle with who they really are. Because what he's about to show them about themselves actually isn't the easiest thing to acknowledge or to accept. <clears throat> in fact, most of them were going to find what he had to say about them quite hard to accept. He says they are like children. That's what it says in verse number 16, the B part of that verse. It says that this generation is like children. Y'all, these were high elite religious folks, folks who had a hard time admitting that they could be acting immaturely. How dare he say 
we're acting like children and being immature. How, how does Jesus have the audacity to call us children? That's how these religious folks are feeling because not unlike many church-going religious folks of our day, these religious folks, they, they weren't very self-aware of their own shortcomings. They weren't aware of, of, of the patterns of unhealthy behavior in their own lives, but yet they were quick to see the, un, the patterns of unhealthy behavior in somebody else's life, but totally unaware of the festering sins of their own self-righteous hearts. I, I, I struggled with this text all week long, and I, <clears throat> I read more commentaries this week on this passage than I've ever read because I wanted to make sure that I was treating it, treating it fairly, that I, that I wasn't trying to come across, say something that the text wasn't saying. And an old, old preacher, he, he's been passed. My name is J.C. Ryle. He put it this way in his commentary. He said, there are always thousands of people who claim to be Christians but are just as unreasonable as these Jews. They are equally perverse and equally hard to please. Those are my words. And let me know that as I was picking up on the tension in the, in the mood of this text, that it was correct because while Jesus is trying to get them to wrestle with what he's about to say, he is also challenging them not to settle in for this type of immature lifestyle. He doesn't want them to settle for the life of being a childish complainer and a critic. Because what Jesus knows is that not only will it result in receiving God's judgment, as it talks about in verses 20 through 24, but Jesus also knows that it is unbecoming. It doesn't bring about the type of transformed community that Jesus has come to create. What's interesting in this passage is that Jesus likens their behavior to that of children. But we also know that in other places in scripture, Jesus encourages childlike faith. Matter of fact, just below in this passage in verse number 25, Jesus is thanking the Father for those who receive his teaching like little children, it says. In verse number 25, it literally says little children. We see these two words of children. And when we read this passage in context, we understand that while Jesus commends childlike faith, he doesn't condone childish behavior. In fact, what he's really inferring here is don't get stuck being a child. As you go, you ought to grow as you go. Childish behavior is not the stage or place of life where you want to get stuck. Don't get stuck acting like a child. Childlike faith is okay, but childish behavior is not. 
And I think that Jesus is saying this because it's natural for all of us to act like this. As a child, we all do these types of things that Jesus lays out in this passage. We're all prone to it as a child. Listen, I, got, I have four children, and each child, they have demonstrated and displayed these behaviors. Listen in verse number 16 what it says. It says that it is like children sitting in the marketplaces, and they're calling to their playmates, and they're asking their playmates, we played the flute for you, saying to their playmates, we played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not mourn. What Jesus is explaining is that children always look to be catered to. Listen to the language of the text again. It says that they are like children sitting in the marketplaces, and they are calling to their playmates. That word calling there actually means to call to oneself. So here is the image. They're sitting down, and they're asking their playmates to come to where they are, and then they're saying, listen, if I play the flute for you, I want you to dance because that's the game that I'm playing. And if I switch it up and I decide to start singing a dirge, singing a, a song of, uh, of melancholy, and, and, and you don't mourn, what are you doing? You're not catering to me. I want you to come where I am. I want you to see where I'm sitting. I'm calling out to you to come where I am so that you can cater to me. Y'all, isn't that what children do? <laughs> That's what the children in this passage, they say, why is it that when I play the flute, you're not catering to me? Why aren't you dancing when I am doing something for you to perform to? Why aren't you playing the game that I want to play? You know what kids do most often those times? They take their basketball and they go home. <laughs> if there's one thing I know about children, they like to be catered to. They like to get their own way. They want to be able to do what they want to do, when they want to do it, how they want to do it, and they want to do it all the time. And Jesus is saying, that's what this generation is like. This generation is a generation that wants to be catered to. Y'all know children are some of the most self-absorbed creatures on earth. There are folks in this room who have children. They, they, they can testify too, but, but, but let's not go to our children because remember, you were a child once too. Children are selfish. They always insist on having their own way. And what Jesus is exposing about that generation is that they are like some selfish little brats. They want to be catered to and they want things to always go their way. And here's the other thing. You know, children are always playing games, too. <laughs> and I just want to say, just, just by the way, y'all be careful of people who play games all the time. It's tricky to be around people that's always playing games. But, but Jesus is saying, y'all, these folks are acting like children when you want everything to be to your liking. That's what children do. I know we wouldn't want to admit 
it in church. But do you expect everything to go as you would have suggested that they should go? When things don't go as you would like for them to go, how do you respond when you don't get your way? Do you expect things to be catered to your preferences and to your liking? When things don't go your way, do you pull away, disengage, give people the silent treatment because things aren't how you would like them to be or how you would suggest that they go? See, Jesus wanted them to see that when, when he and John, the Baptist came, and when they came and they did not cater to the needs all the time of these religious folks, that the John the Baptist and Jesus didn't play the games that the religious folks wanted them to play, that that was a sign of immaturity. Because children are always concerned with being catered to. But if you look at this passage from another angle, what you can also notice is that these children, they get upset because no one comes over to them to play their games like they want them to play. But they don't get up to go over and play with anyone else in their games because it's all about them. Listen, they want people to do for them what they are unwilling to do for others. That's what children do. See, children want to be catered to. Here's what these people did. They sat on their behinds. They asked people to come to them. And they asked people to play with them. And Jesus is trying to get them to wrestle with this because he doesn't want them to to continue this childish behavior. And I believe what we can learn here is that what Jesus is calling and inviting us into is to not settle for that type of childish mentality. Yes, it is only natural for us to like the things we like and for things to go the way that we want. That's only natural. But a transformed community it is not full of selfish, immature children who haven't grown up. A transformed community is full of selfless servants who get off their behinds and instead of seeking to be catered to all the time, they seek for ways to serve and support other people. Can I encourage you that when you don't get your way and you know that that tendency of wanting to be catered to rises up in you, Instead of seeking to be catered to, seek opportunities to serve and support. Seek opportunities to get off of your behind and then go support somebody else in what they are doing. Go participate in someone else's party. You always want people to come to your party, but when was the last party you went to? And even if they don't support you, and they don't come to your party, and they don't do what you would like for them to do, you should still go support them because it is, it is selfish, childish behavior to be tick for tack, to say, I'm not going to support you because you didn't support me. No, it takes a mature Christian to say, even if you don't support me, I'm still going to support and serve you. 
It's hypocritical of us to ask people to participate in what we have going on if we can't support what they have going on. The word servant occurs 57 times in the New Testament. And predominantly, it is used in the way that believers are to be as Christians. We are to be servants first. What if more Christians were less concerned with getting their own way and more concerned about being an outwardly serving community? What would our world look like? That would be a transformative community. But not only in this passage do we see Jesus saying that this generation are like children who want to be catered to, but also Jesus says that these, this generation are like children who complain when they don't get their way. Verse number 17, we played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. See, they get upset and they start whining and complaining when their playmates don't go along with their games. When they aren't catered to, they start complaining. They complain not only because they didn't get their way, but also because they feel a sense of entitlement that they should have gotten their way. <coughs> Excuse me. They, they think that if they perform, they should be rewarded for their performance. But that's not mature behavior. Matter of fact, Philippians chapter 2 verse 14 tells us to do all things without grumbling or complaining. Because you know it's always easier to complain than it is to do something constructive or to help serve. It's so natural and easy. Children complain all the time about how they did not get their way, about how it's not fair, about how this brother got this and I didn't get that and I don't get to do this and they get to do that. That's what children do. Because it's always easier to complain than it is to do something constructive and to help serve. There's a story about a dog that was hitched to a lawnmower and it was pulling this lawnmower to cut the grass. And as he was pulling the lawnmower, the dog stopped suddenly and started barking at someone who was walking by. The boy who was guiding the mower said, don't mind the dog, he is just barking for an excuse to rest because it is always easier to bark than it is to pull the mower. Can I ask you this? When do you tend to complain? When are you most tempted to complain? What things do you complain about the most? I know I am tempted to complain a lot. <laughs> when I don't get my way and things don't go like I would want them to go, oh, I'm first in line. I admit that I want to complain. When someone doesn't do what I feel I should be able to expect them to do, oh, man, that complaining spirit takes a hold of me. <laughs> I want to complain, I want to fuss, and sometimes I want to pull a Kirk Franklin. 
But I want to encourage you, and as I encourage myself, when we feel tempted to complain, decide to be a contributor to help with whatever it is that you're complaining about. If you see somebody is not doing what you want them to do or expect them to do, see how you can help them, serve them, not complain about them. Abraham Lincoln said he has the right to criticize who has the heart to help. He has the right to criticize who has the heart to help. Listen, if you're not willing to contribute to help serve and support, you don't need to be complaining about nothing. Because if you want to complain about something, you need to get in the fight. Yeah, I, 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 I have struggled with this. But I've made it up my mind that, that I'm going to support and I'm going to serve no matter what. I don't get it right all the time, but I'm going to go out my way. I'm going to sacrifice to be present, to be seen, to be acknowledged, and to, to, to contribute in any way that I can to support those who I'm in relationship with. Even if it hurts, even if I see, I feel like they are not contributing to me and it's not being reciprocated. I'm still going to do what I can to support. And that's not easy. But not only does Jesus in this passage <clears throat> say that that generation was like children who wanted to be catered to and they were like children who complained when they didn't get their way. But Jesus also explains that the reason why he has likened them to children is because they could not be satisfied. Y'all know that with children, they are always asking for more. They can't be satisfied. Listen to verse number 18. It says, for John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say to John, he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking, and they, they take issue with him. They say, look at him. He is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Jesus saying, listen, wait a minute. Y'all are just unreasonable. John uses restraint. He does not indulge in eating. He does not drink alcohol. Matter of fact, it is prophesied about John the Baptist in Luke chapter 1 that he would have um, he would be great before the Lord, and he, his mother was told that he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he would be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And so John lived this life of restraint. He did not overindulge in food, and he did not drink any alcohol. And they said that John was a demon. Okay, if John is a demon, then if somebody comes eating and drinking, oh, for sure you're going to be good with them, right? But no. They criticize Jesus for eating and drinking. They say, look at him. He is a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and of sinners. They are unreasonable and they cannot be satisfied because they're always looking for something to criticize and critique. If you can find fault in Jesus, surely you can find fault in other people. But do you feel the need to always critique 
and to criticize? Do you, do you constantly nitpick and scrutinize others? I want to encourage you to resist the urge to be a critical person. Ephesians chapter 4 encourages us this way. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. Only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Y'all, y'all know how easy it is to be a part of conversations and the conversation goes left real quick and people start talking about riffraff. What do you do in those moments? Do you speak up and defend somebody? Or do you even graciously say, I got to omit myself from this conversation. I'm out. I know I'm often tempted to contribute to the riffraff, but we've got to decide that we will let no corrupting talk come out of our mouths. That we will only say which is good for building up. You know, as we read this stuff, we, we, we kind of we hear it all the time, but, but, but we, we really, do we really apply this? <laughs> do we want our words to give grace to those who hear? Philippians 4 and 8 says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Paul tells us to think about whatever is honorable. If anybody has anything honorable in them, think about that. Whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is anything excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about those things. And if you, if you, if you got to criticize, criticism is always much more palatable when it is preceded with a compliment. Criticism is always much more palatable when it is preceded with a compliment. Make sure before you give that critique that you compliment them at least twice before you give your critique. But what's interesting about this passage is that the thing that they criticized, they actually could have turned into a compliment. It says, John came neither eating nor drinking. And they called him a demon. Y'all, for John to live a life of restraint like that was actually something worth commending. And yet they see it as something to critique. Jesus is saying, y'all, we can't settle for this type of immature behavior. But y'all, listen to what they say about Jesus. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, look at him. He is a glutton and a drunkard. He is a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yo, shouldn't we want to be friends of tax collectors and sinners? Isn't that, we, isn't that what we should be doing? Shouldn't we be getting close to sinners so that we can tell them about Jesus? Listen, they should have been following Jesus' lead. He went and mingled with tax collectors, the outcasts, the marginalized of the society, the ones who were worse than sinners, that they had their own category. He went and associated with sinners, meaning that he 
would come in contact with people who were thought to be unclean. But Jesus, that was something that should have been commended of him. Y'all, we've, we've got to decide that, that instead of criticizing, we will look to compliment. That instead of being critical, that we will look for something to commend. But in their criticism, not only were they rejecting John the Baptist, y'all, but unknowingly they were rejecting Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Their immature behavior led them to reject Jesus as Savior. That's a scary place to be in. But what Jesus is really doing in this passage is he's saying, listen, I don't want you to settle for that life. It is not the critic that counts. It is the one who decides to step in and to do something good, to do something admirable, to do something worthy of praise. That's why this passage, if you jump down to the end of chapter 11, you hear these words. You hear Jesus saying, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Jesus said, listen, that life that you have been living Criticizing as a child, it is exhausting. That type of religiosity, it is exhausting. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest, rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. As many of you have heard Eugene Peterson's message translation of that passage, And I always struggled with his translation of that passage because he says, are you tired and worn out and burned out on religion? And I never understood where he get that religion part in when he's translating that passage. But this is it because Jesus has been just talking to religious folks and he has been saying to them how you are living your religion. It is not congruent with how I want you to live in a transformative life. He's saying that religious, that religion that you're living out, it is not becoming and it's going to wear you out. And so he is saying, are you tired and worn out, burned out on religion, being hypocritical, not living in a place where you are serving others and you only want people to do for you, but you're not willing to do for others? Jesus says, come to me. He says, get away with me and you'll recover your life. In other places in scripture, Jesus says that the way to find your life is to lose your life. Jesus says, I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. And I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely. What Jesus is inviting us into is a is a transformed life. And he wants to create a transformed community. That last part of verse number 19, 
is an interesting phrase. Jesus says, yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. It is as if Jesus is saying, listen, don't settle for a childish lifestyle, but live a lifestyle of that's wise, that's mature. To understand what he means there, we really got to flip over to James chapter 3. I hope that you're taking notes so that you'll remember this passage. James chapter 3 verse 13 says, who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. Those who are wise and understanding among us, they, by their good conduct, show their works in meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy, selfish ambition in your heart, do not, be, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but it is earthly and unspiritual, and hear this, it's demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exists, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first of all pure. It is then peaceable. It is gentle. Hear this, y'all. It is open to reason. It is full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Jesus is inviting us. It, it seems like he's, he's, he's trying to condemn us and convict us, but it's really an invitation. He's saying, listen, don't settle down here when I came to take you up here. Don't settle for this lifestyle. Follow me. Allow me to transform your life. Someone said once, read a long time ago, that decide to be an artist rather than an art critic. Decide to be a filmmaker rather than a film critic. Decide to be a musician rather than a music critic. Decide to be a church builder rather than a church critic. See, what we learn from this passage is that instead of trying to be catered to, we should seek opportunities to serve and support others. That instead of complaining, we should try our best to actually go alongside people and, and, and contribute to what they are doing. And instead of criticizing, that we compliment and commend. Y'all, if the church of Jesus Christ were to live this out, wouldn't people rush to Jesus? If we could be the type of transformative community that Jesus is trying to get across in this passage, wouldn't they run to the prayer house? Wouldn't they run to the church house? Old hymn of the church says, we ought to lift him up by living as a Christian ought. Let the world in you the Savior see. 
then men will gladly follow him who must taught, who once taught, I'll draw all men unto me. Y'all, let's lift him up. Lift him up because he still speaks from eternity. He says, if I, if I be lifted up from the earth, I'll draw all men unto me. All the world is hungry. It is hungry for the living bread. Let's lift the Savior up for them to see. Trust him and do not doubt the words that he said, that he'll draw all men unto him. On this Palm Sunday, let's lift Jesus up. Let's lift him high. We can do that by seeking to serve and support. We can do that by contributing to others, helping others. We can do that by instead of criticizing, we compliment and commend. Oh, God, change us by your word. Thank you for listening. If you would like to know more about Triumphant Church, visit us at thetriumphantchurch.org or you can contact us at 301 559 2200